I greet you, dear people, in the name of our merciful and ever-loving Heavenly Father, the one who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As we just sang, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Does that scare you? Does that prayer scare you? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. But I can understand if it does. Because it has me before. But let me just say that when that is your sincere prayer, to open yourselves up to our loving Heavenly Father, to repent, to confess, to be transparent, you will never regret it. It is the means of experiencing fullness of joy and true life. This morning we'd like to consider a subject that is perhaps one of the most repeated and yet the most unpopular messages in all of Scripture. I ask you this question. If Jesus were to come to America today and preach in our churches, what do you think he would say? What do you think would be on his heart? Let me suggest it would be a message of repentance. Repent! In fact, that was the first message he preached as he began his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel was the message of Jesus Christ. And I believe that message is needed today more than ever. As we go through this message this morning, I want you to ponder a couple statements. And there will be more statements made, Lord willing, but these could be rolling around in your mind. And that is, the Christian faith is built on a foundation, or you could say on the foundation, of repentance. The Christian faith is built on the foundation of repentance. Now there's many things that the scripture calls us to. Brother Dan is preaching a very important series of messages through the fruit of the spirit. I'm enjoying that and we need that. 
And yet perhaps that is secondary to the call to repent. I'm not saying it's less important. I'm just saying that it's about having first things first. (laughs) You see? It's about having first things first. It will be impossible for us as believers to truly live out the fruit of the Spirit and other similar thrusts in Scripture if we have not truly surrendered and truly repented. Because it is through repentance that we claim the power or perhaps reclaim the power of the risen Christ within us. And so the Christian faith is founded on repentance. Along with that, a person's relationship with Jesus Christ will only be as authentic as their repentance. A person's relationship with Jesus Christ will only be as authentic as their repentance. I've chosen this title this morning, and that is Repent and Live. Repent and Live. And that comes from Ezekiel chapter 18, the last verse of that chapter, and we'll look at that just a bit later. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures this morning, and I look forward to that. And so uh, have your Bibles handy. Uh, We'll skim through a number of verses uh, this morning. But in, in that verse, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. Therefore, repent and live. That's the call to each one of us today. I find it interesting that repentance is the theme of numerous first sermons in the Bible. Now, I already mentioned that Jesus started his ministry with a call to repentance. But we also know that John the Baptist... His first sermon was a sermon of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, verse 2. In Matthew 3, verse 7, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to John the Baptist to be baptized of him. And he said, what in the world are you doing here? What are you you trying to prove? What is in your heart? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance, or produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He then went on to say that he is here to baptize with water under repentance, but there is one coming that is mightier who will baptize with the Holy Spirit, speaking of Jesus Christ. But I also note that uh, the 12 disciples, when Jesus sent out the 12 disciples, and we read that in Mark chapter 6, he sent them out two by two. And it says in verse 12 that they went out and preached that men should repent. It was the sermon that the 12 disciples preached as they went forth two by two. That men should repent. We also know that Peter, in Acts chapter 2, in his first sermon, there after Pentecost, 
Peter preached the word in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And what did Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I also note that the Apostle Paul, his first sermon was that of repentance. In chapter 26 of Acts, he is giving his testimony before King Agrippa. And in verse 19, or right prior to that, he talks about his experience on the road to Damascus. And then he says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, what? That they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Repentance, the theme of numerous first sermons in the Bible. And that's just a few from the New Testament. It is obvious that these men and countless others understood repentance to be integral to a vibrant relationship with God. It was foundational. Repentance comes first. I say then, if repentance is so foundational uh, to the Christian life, it is vitally important that everyone understands what it means. Okay? Uh, because it's like, if we don't get this one right, it doesn't matter about the rest. Repentance has to be Sure, repentance has to be ongoing. In other words, repentance really needs to be an attitude of life. We could even call this message this morning the walk of repentance because that speaks of an ongoing journey, an attitude. We need to know what this means and we'll look at that this morning. First of all, I'd like to note what it is not. What repentance is not. Repentance is not simply saying, I'm sorry. Now, we as parents know that uh, there's times when our little child, or maybe even a bigger child, <laughs> will do something rude to a sibling. And we will say, now Johnny... Say, I'm sorry. And they'll say, sorry. Kind of walk away. Is that repentance? No. A forced apology is not true repentance. I say repentance is not simply saying, I'm sorry. Uh, true repentance is not just religious words. I remember years ago going with my family uh, to the local Catholic church for Mass. Uh, we went there because of a family in this community that we were friends of, and that's where they attended. And I forget what the occasion was, but we went with them. And I remember thinking, it stood out to me, how that the words, the prayers, the songs 
were so meaningful. It was so deep. It was so very right. And yet I happen to know various ones in that church that appear to be so very not right. That stood out to me as a younger fellow. Let me just assure you that that doesn't just happen in Catholic churches. It can happen just as well in this church. But I say true repentance is not just religious words. Uh, True repentance is not simply good intentions. Maybe you've been there before I have. You fall into sin. You do something that is contrary to the will of God. And you say, ah, I just need to try harder. I just need to try harder. That's not true repentance. Just trying harder. A true repentance is not simply empty promises. We saw that after 9-11 some years ago when a lot of promises were made. There was a lot of turning back to God, as it were, but it was very short-lived. Church attendance spiked and then dropped off again. (laughs) True repentance is not simply sadness or disappointment uh, for being caught or being found out. No. Repentance is not like the person who sent the IRS a check of $150, and there was a note attached that said, if I can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) No, that's not true repentance. (laughs) True repentance is not simply regret or remorse for something that didn't turn out right. Uh, Think of Judas in the Bible. The Bible says that When Judas saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented himself. You say, oh, there it is, he repented. No, that's a different word, okay? That word is specifically speaking of he was seized with remorse for what he had done. He was sorry that it turned out this way. Oh, man, I didn't see that coming. I, I thought Jesus would just, I mean, he can do anything. I just thought I'd get some quick money. He escaped back to normal. And when he saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented himself or he was seized with remorse. He regretted that he did that. But scripture makes it clear that he did not repent in the sense that he turned away from that and turned to Christ. I truly believe that Judas could have truly repented of that. Now, those are things that's hard to grapple with in scripture. And we could spend a lot of time and a lot of debate on that, but we'll move along. Those are things that repentance is not. But we're here this morning to talk about what repentance is. What is repentance? Repentance is acknowledging, then turning, changing, and repentance, true repentance, is saving. Acknowledging, turning, changing, saving. True repentance begins by acknowledging your condition, acknowledging your need. 
You know, it's astounding how many people never get to the first base of repentance because they fail to see that they have any need. Me? For problem? No. They do, but not me. To those looking on, the need is great and it's obvious. But to the individual, they just don't see it. They just don't get it. Turn to Psalm 119. Let's start looking through some verses here. Verses sprinkled throughout this message, which, of course, that's what a sermon ought to be. Psalm 119, and look what David had to say here about acknowledging being perhaps the first base, if you're thinking about baseball, (laughs) being the first base of repentance. 119.59, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. I thought on my ways, he says, or I considered my ways. I thought about my condition. And that acknowledging then led to the next step. David says, I then turned my steps to you. Acknowledging and then turning. Speaking of a repentant heart. Seeing that I have need and turning to God. Luke chapter 15. And here is the story of the prodigal son. And this is, we could probably use this story as the whole text for a message like this on repentance. uh, Because... It's a beautiful story of repentance, but along with that, it's a beautiful story of forgiveness. But here, you know the story of the prodigal son, where the second second son of the family, and he said one day he was getting weary of being playing second fiddle, perhaps, to his older brother, and life was a little boring, the older brother got all the fun and responsibility and maybe the greater inheritance and blah, blah, blah. And one day he said, look, Dad, give me what, give me what is mine. I'm out of here. This is boring. I want some excitement. And you know the story. He went. No doubt he had some fun for a little while. Uh, But as the money ran out, the fun did too. And he ended up not only feeding pigs, but uh, basically eating like one. At least he would have liked to eat pig food, feed. Uh, But he didn't even get that. Verse 17. And when he came to himself. There it is. And when he came to himself. When he considered his need. When he considered the situation, dear people, that was the turning point. 
that was the turning point. He started thinking about home. He started thinking about dad mom back at home. He started thinking about his brother that he didn't like and realized that, you know what? I had it so much better off back at home than I have now. And then he went on to have a change of heart. And then his actions followed, and you know the rest of the story. We won't go into all that right now. But when he came to himself, when he saw himself as he really was, it then led to repentance. I have sinned. And so repentance begins with acknowledging our need, our condition. Repentance then goes on to be a turning from sin. And once again, I'm using words here that have I-N-G on the end, and that gives the idea um, of an ongoing process, okay? Because I need that for myself. It's an ongoing thing. I need to be living with that in mind. I need to be acknowledging my condition, acknowledging my need. I need to be turning from my sin. You know, repentance is all about turning. In fact, the most common wording in the Old Testament uh, to express the act of repentance is turn. To turn. Turn away from. We see that in the Old Testament over and over and over again. It expresses the act of repentance. Turning from idols and turning to God. You're turning from one thing and turning to another. You're you're turning away from your selfish, sinful ways, and you're turning in full obedience to the ways of God. It's all about turning. In fact, uh, Vine's Dictionary spells it out this way. It's shifting your attention away from yourself and attaching yourself to God. And, And really... In the deeper sense, this thing of repentance and turning is about dependence. You're looking to God for dependence. It's about changing allegiance, you see. Second Chronicles 7.14, we read, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. When they turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Sometime I might have to preach a message entitled, When God Doesn't Answer. I've thought about that recently. When God Doesn't Answer. Isaiah 59 starts by saying, God speaking, he says, Is my arm too short that it can't save? No. Are my ears deaf that they can't hear? No. 
but your iniquity has separated you from me. When God doesn't answer, check inside first. Check inside first. And I'm not saying that's always what it is. Sometimes God is testing us. Some God is, sometimes God is trying us in various ways. But check inside. Lord, are things right in my heart? Now turn to Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18, and starting at verse 27. Again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness that he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive, because he considereth, (laughs) there's, There is that act of acknowledging. Because he considereth and turneth away from all his transgressions that he hath committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Or, therefore, repent and live. Repent and live. True life, true peace, true joy is experienced only after we have truly repented, confessed our sins. When a wicked man turns from his wickedness and does what is right, he shall save his soul alive. It's wonderful. What a promise. So repent and live. And so we have an acknowledging, we have a turning, and now let's note a changing, a changing. In Acts 3, verse 19, and we'll look at this verse just a bit later, but in Acts 3, verse 19, the Apostle Peter says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted. Repent and be converted. Now, in the word repent speaks of an inner change of heart and mind. I decide inside that I am turning away from my sin and I'm turning back to God. Repent speaks of an inner. Conversion speaks of an outer. Conversion speaks of a change of behavior, a change of lifestyle, a change of, you could say, action. Repent, inner, 
and be converted outer. Once again, true repentance is a change in your mind and heart that is expressed in your behavior and lifestyle. In fact, I would say it is impossible to have an authentic experience of repentance and not see a significant change. Think about that. It's impossible to have an authentic experience of repentance and not see a significant change. True repentance is to cease from sin. Therefore, true repentance is proven by a changed way of life. And let me just say that it's always a change for the better. It's always a change for the better. Now, I find this interesting. Every time the word repentance is used, and I'm talking about this Greek word that we're talking about today, that is of turning away from sin, turning to God. Every time that word is used in the New Testament, it signifies a change for the better. To repent is to change for the better, except in one instance. And that is in Luke chapter 17, where Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he comes back to you seven times a day and says, or if he, if he continues to sin against you and he comes back seven times in a day, and says, I repent. Forgive him. <laughs> now, granted, the focus in those verses is on our responsibility to forgive. We are to forgive. We should not be saying, but you're not living right. But you're not doing that. But you're not doing... Forgive him. It's the Christian responsibility. If he says, I'm sorry, forgive him. Release him. That's not your baby to rock. Let God deal with that. But I'm saying that in that instance, it's not, that repentance is not a change for the better because it's not sincere. He's coming back again and again and again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Something's not right. Okay? They're not getting to the bottom of the situation. True repentance is not happening. Perhaps that's just a little nugget we can take with us as we think of uh, relationships in the brotherhood. And so we have an acknowledging, we have a turning, we have a changing, and then repentance, true repentance is about saving. Saving your soul. True repentance leads the sinner to the Savior. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7 and starting at verse 8. And here the Apostle Paul had to kind of crack down on a situation here at the Church of Corinth. 
and it made him feel sort of bad that maybe he had to be that harsh. Um, but then after he saw the results, you know, he, he didn't feel bad because he was glad that it worked out, uh, but he was kind of stuck between feeling bad for being maybe overly strong, but okay. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, or I do not regret that. Though I did repent, or I did regret that at one point. For I perceived that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Now listen to this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Let me read that in the NIV. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. There it is. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. True repentance is about saving your soul. It really is. You see, the work of true repentance is the result, really, of God wooing us. Think about that. The work of true repentance is the result of God wooing us. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2 that it is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. God is at work in it all. This is not something that we can say, look what I did. I turned to God. We cannot pat ourselves on the back. God is in it. It is through the Spirit of God moving in the hearts of men that leads Him to repent. And therefore, we need to be praying for ourselves and for our church and for the world. God, stir the hearts of men. Stir our hearts, open our ears that we can hear you. Because it is God working. It is God prompting that leads us. It is His goodness. It is His grace. He wouldn't have to do that. But it is that, it is that that leads us to repentance. I think of the song that we sing sometimes. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew He moved my heart to seek Him seeking me. And it was not I that found, O Savior, true, but I was found of thee. In other words, God is really the one that is doing the pursuing. We in and of ourselves, we do not seek after God. Sinful people that we are. It goes back to the mercy and the love of God. Now, I'd like to note yet four rewarding results of repentance. Four rewarding results of repentance. And you can turn to Acts chapter 3, and let's note this verse that I mentioned earlier. But in the following points and passages, we will look at, at, uh, at repentance and confession alongside each other, because although, although they are different words with different meanings, they are very similar in that they signify a heart that is open and responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And so Acts chapter 3, and we're just going to break in here on this message because of, uh, for sake of time, starting at verse 19, or let's start at 18. 
But those things which God before had shown by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. The first rewarding result of repentance is our sin is removed. Our sin is removed. Praise the Lord. That your sins may be blotted out. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now we read in 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, clean you up. But if we confess our sins. And confess in this verse it carries with it the meaning of agreeing with God. Uh, I'm admitting that I'm guilty. I'm, I'm admitting that I'm guilty of, of doing what I've been accused of. I agree with God. Yes, I have sinned. And God says the soul that sins, it will die. And so I confess that. And the scripture says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for that. It's about agreeing with God. Another rewarding result of repentance is our relationships are restored. Our relationships are restored, first of all, with God. Isaiah 55 uh, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and in the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. You see, first and foremost, when we sin, we are sinning against God. We are walking away from God. The relationship has been severed. God and sin do not coexist. They don't live together. And so when we sin, that relationship is severed. And the, the cry here is to return to God. To seek Him. To repent. Let the wicked forsake His way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. Turning away from your sin. And turning back to God. Relationships are restored through repentance. I say first of all with God. But then also with others. Also with others. James chapter 5. Skip ahead quickly to James chapter 5. And here uh, we're noticing... These verses in the context of anointing with oil. But I specifically note verse 16. Verse 15 says, James 5, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, 
And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now notice, this is in the context of the prayer of faith. Okay? And then we move on. Confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now here, confess, the word confessed, as it's used in this verse, carries with it the meaning to confess freely or openly. It speaks of making public acknowledgement or confession of your sin. It's, it's in the context of the assembly of the believers. Freely share your sin. Freely share your shortcoming. Do you want to get a handle on the sins in your life? Are you struggling and struggling with certain things? You know what? This works. <laughs> this works. I've experienced that. And would to God we would do more of this. If you have the courage to stand up, if you're serious enough about your relationship with God, to stand up and confess in the public assembly what you are battling, that is powerful. God does not look at that lightly. It shows a depth of desire. It shows a faith in God and it shows a sense of humility that God honors. And victory is experienced through that. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Thirdly, our spirit is renewed. Now back in Acts chapter 3 again, you can turn there, just listen, but in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And then various versions go on to say it this way, So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do this and this, so that you experience this and this. Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. How beautiful is that? Is that what you want? I do. That's what I want. I think down deep inside of all of us, that's really what we want. But are we willing to do the work? Are we willing to humble ourselves? Psalm 51, turn back to Psalm 51, and here's the cry of, of David after he had sinned with Bathsheba. Look what the results were of his repentance and confession of that terrible sin. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right or renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, when I'm sinning, I am turning away from you. 
When we sin against God, we are no longer in the boat with Him, but we are turning away. We're going our own way. And David says, restore a right spirit. I want a steadfast spirit, one that is with you, one that stays with you, one that's committed. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Or other, other versions say, give me a willing spirit. Give me a willing spirit. You notice in each of those three verses, we have the word spirit. I say one of the rewarding results of repentance is a renewed spirit. It renews us. You know what guilt feels like? You know what unconfessed sin feels like? I do. It's a heavy weight to bear. It's a heavy weight to bear. Makes you feel awful. You can't look at people in the face right. There's always something nagging. Ah, hate it. And David says, that can be lifted. You can be delivered from that when you repent, when you confess. In exchange, you get a clean heart, a right spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit within you, a free spirit, a willing spirit. It's about a spirit being renewed. Fourthly then, our power is reclaimed. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about spiritual power. I'm talking about uh, the indwelling resurrection power of Jesus Christ. But when we repent and confess our sins, our power is reclaimed. Verse 20 of Acts 3. And he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you. Some versions say, and he shall send again Jesus Christ. <laughs> you see, Jesus Christ was here once, and, and, then he, and then he left. But when you repent of your sins, when you confess your sins before God and others, he's saying, you'll get him again. <laughs> and and you, you will receive Jesus Christ again through the work of the Holy Spirit living within you. David what goes on to say in Psalm 51, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You see? That's power. That's power reclaimed. When I have taken care of the sin of my life through the power of God, when I have done business with God, then I have the strength, then I have what it takes to serve God effectively. And so, you know, I, I ask you, do you want to be useful to God and His church? Do you desire to make an eternal difference in this world? And I trust you do. Then live a life of repentance. God is not likely to use someone who is harboring sin in their life. So repent, confess, reclaim your power. And I will say God will use you in ways that you probably never dreamed. God will use you. 
In conclusion, I just want to remind you again of our merciful, loving Heavenly Father, the one who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'd like to read a little closing story, but before that, turn to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, and so here at the end of this message, we're, we're not only pondering the importance of repentance, but also the beauty of forgiveness. Joel chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, act like you mean it. <laughs> Don't play around. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil, or he, he relents from doing you evil. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey shares a beautiful story about the importance of repentance, but maybe even more so about the beauty of forgiveness. I'll leave this with you. A young girl grows up on a cherry orchard just above Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring, the music she listens to, and the length of her skirts. They ground her for a few times, and she seethes inside. She screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after an argument, and that night she acts on a plan she has mentally rehearsed scores of times. She runs away. She has visited Detroit only once before, on a bus trip with her church youth group. Because newspapers in Traverse City report in lurid detail the gangs, the drugs, and the violence in downtown Detroit, she concludes that is probably the last place her parents will look for her. California, maybe, or, or Florida, but not Detroit. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride, buys her lunch, arranges a place for her to stay, he gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month, two months, a year. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. Occasionally, she thinks of her folks back home. But their lives now seem so boring and provincial that she can hardly believe she grew up there. She has a brief scare when she sees her picture printed on the back of a milk carton with the headline, Have you seen this child? But by now she has blonde hair, and with all the makeup and body-piercing jewelry she wears, nobody would mistake her for a child. Besides, most of her friends are runaways, and nobody squeals in Detroit. After a year, the first sallow signs of illness appear, and it amazes her how fast the boss turns mean. 
These days we can't mess around, he growls. And before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. When winter blows in, she finds herself, herself sleeping on metal grates outside the big department stores. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her cough worsens. One night, as she lies awake listening for footsteps, all of a sudden, everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl, lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty and she's hungry. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and shivers under the newspaper she's piled atop her coat. Something jolts a synapse of memory and a single image fills her mind. Of May in Traverse City, when a million cherry trees bloom at once, with her golden retriever dashing through the rows and rows of blossomy trees in chase of a tennis ball. God, why did I leave, she says to herself, and pain stabs at her heart. My dogs back home eat better than I do now. She's sobbing, and she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she just wants to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times, but the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and it'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours for a bus to make all the stops between Detroit and Traverse City, and during that time, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could talk to them? And even if they are home, they probably wrote her off as dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech she is preparing for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I knew I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening even as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. The bus has been driving with lights on since Bay City. Tiny snowflakes hit the pavement, rubbed worn by thousands of tires, and the asphalt steams. She's forgotten how dark it gets out at night out there. A deer darts across the road, and the bus swerves. Every so often, a billboard, a sign posting the mileage to Traverse City. When the bus finally rolls into the station, its air brakes hissing in protest, the driver announces in a crackly voice over the microphone, Fifteen minutes, folks. That's all we have here. Fifteen minutes to decide her life. She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair, and licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonder if her parents will notice, if they're there. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepare her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs, bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and great grandmother. They're all wearing party hats and blowing noisemakers and taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a banner that reads, Welcome Home. 
Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares out through the tears quivering in her eyes like hot mercury and begins the memorized speech. Dad, I'm sorry. I know, he interrupts her. Hush, child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. A banquet's waiting for you at home. You know, that's really a story about you and me. It's really a story about our loving Heavenly Father that is so merciful in spite of our awful failures, in spite of our awful sins. Yet He promises when you turn away from your sin, and when you return to me, I will receive you with open arms. Like that father in the story of the prodigal son who was year after year standing on the porch of his house, as it were, waiting for his son to return, yet God is waiting for us. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Dear people, we are living in the day of grace. We are living in the day of grace. The scripture says that there was a time when God winked at the foolishness of man, but now he is commanding men everywhere to repentance. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to you. Why don't you answer his call? Let's pray. Lord, you have spoken to us once again through the truth of your word. Father, we acknowledge we are needy people. We are so prone to go our own way. We're so prone to wander away from what we know is right. Father, we acknowledge this. We confess this this morning. Lord, I, I just thank you and praise you for your love, for your great mercy, in that you are still calling sinners to repentance. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would search our own hearts and that we would look within us and see if there's something that may be standing between us and you that is robbing us of that peace and that joy and that victory that you promised the believer. And so, Father, I pray uh, that today... And these coming days would be a, a day of reflection, would be times of pondering, times of taking spiritual inventory, because, Father, it's worth it. It's that important. And we want to be ready for you, Father, when you return to receive your bride. So may each one of us, may each one of us have that sincere desire to be a part of that number. We pray your blessing on this gathering, and as we go from here, uh, may you be honored and glorified through the lives that we live. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.